Okay, if you have a Bible, you can open to Ecclesiastes. We'll look at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. The text is also in the bulletin on the next page for you. Um, so, if you've been around the congregation for a while, you've probably heard one of the elders, um, probably most likely Joe, uh, celebrate the simple fact that people keep coming back to church, right? That people even show up at all, celebrate it as a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's um, not overstating things, right? It might sound funny, uh, but we mean it. It's worth thinking about that the fact that anybody shows up here on a Sunday at all is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. A big part of why we say that is because our time together in worship is uh, largely and de- deliberately focused on just sitting and listening to what God has to say to us. And what God has to say to us is centered on Jesus Christ. It's not centered on us. Right? It's not intended to make us feel good about ourselves. Church isn't meant to provide us with the opportunity to impress God. It's not meant to provide us with the opportunity to, press, uh, uh, to impress others or even ourselves with how great we are. In fact, a lot of the time, what God has to say to us uh, can make us feel downright uncomfortable, even unbearably so. So it's perfectly understandable that we would have great aversion to coming to church and listening to God. Uh, the big surprise is that any of us would be doing that at all. So the very fact that anyone would have the humility... That's what it takes, is this humility to just to come and listen to God's word. That's a Holy Spirit miracle worth celebrating and being thankful for. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the humility of listening to God. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we ask for your spirit's work right now that you would grant us the humility to listen to what you have to say to us and to respond to your word in ways that are pleasing to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ecclesiastes 4, starting in verse 13. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he, the youth, went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he'd been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vapor and hurting wind. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vapor. But God is the one you must fear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's a beautiful account in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, uh, when Jesus is passing through the village of Bethany, uh, which is outside of Jerusalem. Uh, And 
he's welcomed into the house of Mary and Martha. It's these two sisters, and they have a brother named Lazarus. He's part of another story. <clears throat> but here in Luke's gospel in chapter 10, it says that Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she complained to Jesus about her sister not doing more to help her. But Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So Jesus says, one thing is necessary, one thing is good, one thing is lasting. It will not be taken away from her. Coming to the Lord of life himself, sitting at his feet, which is a posture of humility, it's a posture of submission, and listening to what he has to say, listening to his teaching. I'm sure you might love the opportunity to have Jesus himself in your home, in your house, right? To offer him a drink and to get him some refreshments while you're making, you're preparing to serve him your best meal like Martha wanted to do. That sounds great. Fantastic opportunity. <clears throat> but Jesus says that Mary has chosen the one good thing. The thing of ultimate and lasting significance for all people everywhere. Just to come and listen and give your attention to Jesus and receive him and his words. <clears throat> so Ecclesiastes would put this in terms of wisdom. That's the wise thing. Mary chose wisely, right? Uh, to fear the Lord is the only wise choice. To fear the Lord is the root of all wisdom. To listen to the Lord and to remain open and teachable before him, that's wisdom. In his illustration here, Ecclesiastes, at the end of chapter 4, in verse 13, he says that it's the old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. And the implication is, it's not spelled out for you, but the implication is that the youth, even though he's poor, even though he's of low station in life and inexperienced, the youth was wise because, unlike the old and foolish king, he knew how to take advice. That's the implication. <clears throat> the old king was presumptuous. <clears throat> he thought he knew it all. He didn't think he needed anyone to teach him anything, which is foolish. The youth went from the bleakest depths of life in prison to the most glorious heights of life on the throne because of his wisdom, which really amounts to because of his humility before God. Right, so Ecclesiastes uses this uh, sort of, it's a proverbial illustration here to make the point that the scriptures declare in other places, lots of other places. First Peter, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Or uh, Luke chapter 1, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So of course, the supreme example of this of a truly humble human being is Jesus. Supreme example. He came saying uh, in John chapter 5, I do nothing of my own accord but what I see the Father doing. He's responsive to his Father. He's humble before his Father. In John 14, Jesus didn't come speaking his own words in his own authority. He spoke the Father's words. Whatever his Father wanted him to say, that's what he said. So that means that that Jesus lived in complete humility, first listening, listening to what his father would say to him and through him. And because of his wisdom in this, because of his humility in listening to God the Father, even though his road took him first through the bleak prison that is death, 
It ended up with him on the glorious throne of the universe, exalted beyond all the heavens, with the judgment of all the world given into his hands, the most humble man, exalted to that highest place. Jesus is the perfect example of someone who humbly listens to God, who doesn't look to impress others with his greatness. He's never doing that. Um, He's not looking to impress others with his own piety. And he's not just the perfect example to us, right? He's the only one of us who has been truly humble before God. We all struggle with the humility of listening to God. In fact, this is probably a bigger problem for religious people than it is for most other people. I think that's pointed out fairly frequently in the scriptures. When it comes to knowing how to relate to God, knowing how to act in his presence, we are prone to presumption, religious presumption. So Ecclesiastes says to us there in chapter 5, verse 1, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Guard your steps. Not if, but when you go into the house of God. Remember, so Ecclesiastes is speaking to God's people. He's speaking to people who go to church, who go into the house of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they're, that they're doing evil. Right? So fools come into God's presence thinking, not, not really thinking, but just sort of behaving as if they have something to offer to God. Some kind of sacrifice to make. Some kind of religious service. Some kind of important vow to make that would prove their devotion to God, right? Fools come to church thinking more about what they have to contribute than about what they need to hear and receive from God. Fools come into the house of God, into the church, with these unthinking, presumptuous religious impulses. And the scriptures make it clear that not every religious impulse is a good one. Probably mostly none of them are, right? For example, the religious impulse to make a big show of your piety, that's not a good one, right? Jesus says as much in uh, Matthew chapter 6, he says, when you pray, talking to his people, we're going to follow him and learn from him. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. They want to impress others with their piety. That's a religious impulse that Jesus says is not a good one. Even the seemingly innocuous impulse of Martha scrambling to serve Jesus a nice meal because she invited him into her home might not be a good impulse. Right? So it's foolish to come to God presuming that he'll receive you for your religious service or that he'll be impressed by your religious service. People who do this, we don't even realize that what we're doing is wrong. That God hates it when we stroll in here full of ourselves, rather than coming to him empty, needing to be filled by him. So here Ecclesiastes is especially pointing out that it's foolish to come to God with many words. Foolish to come to God with many words, in contrast with coming to God ready to be receptive and responsive and just listen to him. So we know what this is like in uh, regular conversation with other people. If you come into that conversation with many words, right, usually when you're the one doing all the talking, you're the one taking center stage, you're fixing the attention on yourself, you're making this thing about you. 
When we come to church brimming full of our own words, there's a great danger that we're looking to take center stage. Maybe that means, you know, we're singing or we're praying with great skill and great eloquence without really thinking about what what it is we're saying. Maybe that means we're looking to teach. Maybe it means we're quick to uh, profess our devotion with things like vows without really thinking about what it is that we're even saying when we make these vows, vows of membership, vows of officer ordination, whatever. When we come with many words, we're usually coming full of ourselves and we're not stopping to think and realize that we come to God with nothing to offer, that we have to come to God first to receive, first to give him our attention and to listen and to dwell on what he says and be filled up by him. He doesn't want an unthinking, empty show of piety. He doesn't want us coming to church to try to impress anyone, not him or other people or ourselves at all. He warns us that not many of us should become teachers, having lots of words to say in the church, knowing that teachers face a stricter judgment, James says, for having to open their mouths and speak about God on his behalf, in his presence to his people. He warns us not to be hasty here with our professions of devotion or our vows not to take oaths, Jesus warns us. Or to swear in God's name, because when we do that, we're not taking God seriously. We're not taking God as seriously as we're taking ourselves when we come with many words like that. He calls us, first and foremost, to take him seriously. God calls us to take him more seriously than we take ourselves, to submit ourselves to his reality and to his word above all things. He calls us to draw near in the humility of listening. He calls us to come like Mary, placing ourselves at Jesus' feet in a posture of glad submission, soaking up his words, even when those words might include rebukes and challenges. Because that's the one good thing, coming to him and listening. God created us for a relationship. He spoke first. He spoke to us first. And our first place is to listen. And that's the foundation for all of our relationship with him. He speaks, we listen. That's the whole life of a disciple in relationship with God by following Jesus. You remember the word for disciple in the Greek New Testament can also be translated student or apprentice, learner. So it's a poor disciple, it's a poor apprentice, it's a poor learner who doesn't come to her Lord with a teachable spirit to hear his teaching in order to incorporate it into her life. The main reason we wouldn't come to Jesus to listen is because, like that old foolish king in the illustration there, we think we've got things figured out well enough, we we no longer know how to take advice. We're more impressed with ourselves than we are with God, so fearing God is the answer to this problem. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The hypocritical fool making his presumptuous religious sacrifices, devotions, many words, doesn't fear God, but God is the one you must fear, Ecclesiastes says here in our last verse. God is the one who you must fear. There's no limit to that then. You're talking about an, an immortal God, an infinite God. There's no limit to the fear, the awe, the reverence, the respect that the holy God commands. So when I'm saying that, I'm not just talking about some vague, generic, infinite deity of your own imagination, because we've all got a conception of what it means that God is 
infinite and big and worthy of our respect. I'm talking about the holy God of the scriptures, the God who speaks, the God who has revealed himself to be our creator and our redeemer, the one who's revealed himself to be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is his house. It's the house of the triune God, the God we can know and therefore fear, the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. You cannot take the God of holy love too seriously. You can't fear him too much. And you dare not trifle with him. Verse 2 of chapter 5. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. It's because God is so great. He's so transcendent. He's so holy. He's so beyond us in a love that is unlike our love. That we must fear him and humble ourselves and listen to him. And we should want to do that. Uh, James says in uh, his letter, chapter 1, verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to listen and slow to speak. He's talking about the same things here. So <clears throat> Zach Eswine uh, has a book on Ecclesiastes. I've quoted from him before, and there's one printed here in the bulletin. He says, We go to church in order to learn how to slow our tongues and quiet our hearts. Instead of asserting ourselves and filling the space with what we propose it needs, we encounter a space that is already purposed by a being who has already asserted himself. Our task is to receive and to surrender to the will of another, to his will. So that might sound oppressive. You talk, talk about submission, right? It might sound oppressive, this idea of humbling oneself and surrendering to the will of another. Ultimately, it's very good news because we're talking about surrendering, surrendering to Jesus. We're talking about surrendering to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus. Jesus himself is meek. He's no cruel tyrant. He's no oppressor. He's meek. He's gentle. He's lowly. He's humble. And the Father loves to shower his grace upon the humble and to exalt the humble. Remember, it's the most humble man who ever lived who was blessed with the greatest reward in the glorious presence of God beyond all the heavens, all authority in heaven and earth, having been given to him. Right? Jesus listened. Jesus submitted himself to God. Jesus received the fullness of the Spirit, and Jesus was exalted. So the path of humility is not a bad one. Not in Jesus. So when God calls you to listen to him, He's not calling you to anything that he himself wouldn't do because he did all these things. God the Son submitted himself in humility. He's not trying to oppress you. And he isn't saying that you can never speak. Just to be quick to listen first, not to speak hastily, without really thinking about what your relationship with God means and what it is that you're saying. We don't come to church, to the house of God, only to listen. We're called to respond to what we hear, to participate in worship, in a conversation, to sing and pray and proclaim the gospel, and even to make vows sometimes. But how can you do those things in a real relationship with God before you've heard what he has to say about the relationship? He names himself as the Holy One. And he names us as those who have not feared him as we ought, 
Yet he also names us as his beloved children through faith in Jesus. And you need to hear that. First thing. You need to hear that as unpleasant as it might sound. And you're called to respond to him when he calls you to confess your sin. Right? So it's like children who learn language from their parents through imitation and relationship. You're to learn your speech from your heavenly father. You first listen to what he says. And then you speak his own words back to him. And you grow in your understanding of what that means as you do it more and more. Right? In your relationship with him. So, just walk you through our worship service. He calls us to worship. His is the first word. And we listen and we do what he says. And we sing a song of worship together. He calls us to confess our sins. And we listen. And we do what he says and we confess our sins. He assures us of forgiveness. We listen. And we sing his praise with thanksgiving. He speaks to us from the Holy Scriptures. We listen and we respond with prayer and more song. He speaks to us in the sermon and we listen. And we respond with our confession of faith and our confession of trust in him and by sharing the gospel of peace with one another. He speaks to us at the table and we listen. And we eat and drink and sing together. And he gets the last word. The word of blessing and sending. And we listen. We come to listen to Jesus. To listen to the word of God incarnate. He washes us with the water of his word. He speaks grace and mercy and peace over us. He declares our sins forgiven because of his sacrifice. And you need to hear that. You need to come and listen to that. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If if your heart is so full of yourself that you come into the house of God babbling, you won't be able to hear the God of holy love speaking these good words to your soul. So quiet yourself and, and like Mary at Jesus' feet, sit and listen to the Lord with humility. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for speaking to us in the scriptures, especially in the gospel of your son, Jesus. You've said so many wonderful things to us. How could we not love to listen to you? Please overcome our pride and our stubbornness. Override all of our resistance to humbling ourselves before you. Please help us to know that we who are full of ourselves are in truth most empty that we all come to you in the greatest need. We pray that you would help us to know you so that we would truly fear you and become wise. Fill us up in Christ. Fill us up with your spirit so that when we do speak, it will always be in response to your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.